0: Welcome to the Corporate Legal Ops Consortium podcast, where we dive deep into conversations with technology and legal ops thought leaders from across the ecosystem. This is Clock Talk. I'm your host, Jen McCarron. I'm on the board of directors at Clock, and I lead the Netflix legal operations and technology team. On this episode, we're headed to the podcast lounge at Clock's 2023 EMEA Summit in London. I'm joined by Caroline Hill, Editor-in-Chief at The Legal IT Insider, a.k.a. The Orange Rag, one of the legal sector's leading global sources of legal tech news. Caroline's been reporting on her industry since... before legal ops even became a full-blown industry. She's seen legal ops and legal tech rise from the ooze, as well as all the trends come and go over the past few decades. With that vantage point, I couldn't help but get into the history of Legal Ops and Tech with her. Hope you enjoy the history lesson. So welcome to Clock Talk. It is so wonderful to have you on. You've been around us at Clock for years. You are the editor-in-chief at Legal IT Insider.
1: That's correct, yes.
0: Which you also call it the Orange Rag.
1: That's right. We have a publication that comes out every month, yeah. which is vaguely orange, but when we printed it back in the day, it was printed on orange paper. Amazing. Because it was sold, and if people
0: photocopied it, then you would know. Can you explain to our audience what photocopying is? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The legal audience will know photocopying Especially all the paralegals, gun legal ops folks. We've all started our careers photocopying something. That's true. But I love the analog story, the analog roots. When did the orange rag start? So it goes back to 1995.
1: Oh my God, the 90s. This is before YouTube. Right. So legal tech was very uncool. So Charles, my predecessor.
0: Legal tech was uncool. It was totally not cool. Has it become cool?
1: I think since, so I took over, I've been a journalist since 2004. And in those days, if you spoke to anyone about technology, you'd probably get the phone put down, you know, pretty quickly. I took over as editor of The Orange Rag in 2014. And even then, it's still a little bit of hard work to get people to talk to you and engage in a really excited way, right? And then it was, I reckon about just a year or two later, I noticed this transition of people suddenly phoning me, particularly lawyers. So lawyers who previously had no interest at all would phone me and say, hey, do you want to talk about our latest tech venture? And I'd cool. be like, what planet are we on?
0: <laughs> so probably early 20 teens, this thing started to become cool or become what we mean by that is become relevant, a proactive discussion, like something greater than all of us is happening.
1: I think that's right. Yeah,
0: I'm, when I started in this work, It was the early 20 teens. And so it was at the precipice of that shift. And before, when I would be out at parties and such and say, what do I do for work? I had a really hard time explaining it. I actually still have a hard time explaining it. But now I just have the confidence of this whole (laughs) kind of community ecosystem awakening that has gone on in the last 10 years behind me. I remember
1: the days when Legal Ops, people didn't really know what it was. Yes. I remember... Couple of the real early, early people and quite genuinely thinking, well, what is that? What do they do? What are they? (laughs) And now that's obviously inconceivable, right?
0: But yeah, and I guess I don't. So you were early teens, you say, twenty? Early teens, I tripped and fell into this work, (laughs) and the early days were when I would be out with other tech friends. It would be hard to explain because they'd be like, "Well, what do you do?" And I'd be like, "Systems architect." And then one guy from Apple is like, that is not what you do. And I'd be like, ops. But then I'd be doing such technical stuff that they're like, that is not what you do. And I'm like, tech. And they're like, like engineering. I'm like, no. (laughs) So it's been a journey for me to even define the role me, me against all of this. But now here's my invented term. Now I'm legal ops and tech. Right. It does what it says on the tech. It does what it says. And then other people... Copied me. Other industry leaders copied that as their team right. name with me. And now we're like legal ops and tech. I would I put for me, ops feels like it's tech, right? But I suppose- no, it's actually not. Like if you want to get down to like semantics, if you ask me what ops is, it's operationalizing cost management, outside council spend management. Like ops in a legal setting mm. is a outside council management. And spend management function, maybe a project management function to run projects into solutions that help the legal department. That could be anything Mm. from process to tech. And then maybe they partner with some tech folks on building the thing and helping roll it out. And the whole goal of Ops is to optimize the legal department or help them scale or save money, whatever the legal department's goals are. Maybe it's innovate. Tech is actually tech. I guess the
1: context that I, because naturally by virtue of what I do yeah. and the conversation I'm having, the conversations that I have at Clock or in the legal ops world often tend to be involve technology. But I guess that's well, what so sure, are.
0: and they can absolutely involve yeah. tech. And an ops team's remit is probably going to have some tech or innovation to it. But where I draw the line is like, who's doing the tech work? Is it you guys, or do you have to partner with that IT person, that enterprise tech group, that product or engineering team? and many times more often than not the ops people are partnering with those folks to bring about the magic i am all of that with my team in netflix and so i like to distinguish that way because there's differences in ops folks too different competency differences and i am so lucky i get to have this it engineering component built into my team because i can say to that group of guys and gals oh the connector doesn't exist. There's no API. Great. We get to code it and we get to actually code. I think being able to do
1: the whole thing, I talk about this within, outside of legal ops, just generally in legal yeah. technology, connecting everybody who needs to understand. So you've got the people who are the real techies. Yeah. You've got the people perhaps who deliver the work at the yeah. other end. And you need all of that to be connected so that everybody's really communicating. Yeah. So you understand the objective, right? Yeah. so and And you need almost like, Lots of translators along the way. Yeah. A, to deliver the we're actual- We're a bunch th- of
0: translators. Right. All this is different. what it's
1: about. It's about yeah. so it's about having the people who can having if you can have that as one team, it's amazing. Yeah. Because otherwise the risk, and you see we see this with other teams perhaps. So you get the breakdown, right? Or There's breakdown the silos and you get the people.
0: Or you're competing against priorities of other groups right. to get on the roadmaps of right. that IT group, that product group, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And you get, you find it's like a bit like whispers sort of, you find that actually sometimes, sometimes when you get to the end, uh, like no, that's why I, I didn't need
0: that. And I, then and I didn't need like, that solution. <laughs> you're like, well, good thing we're going live. And that is how hard this stuff really is. And those breakdowns happen. And if you're not always connected to The problem you're solving and really communicating effectively. That is the classic IT mistake.
1: And also this thing about uh, speaking to somebody who's moved now to a consultancy, but she was talking about everybody having to sort of understand the objective. And she was talking about failing fast. I'm sure you talk about this all the time, right? This rather than building something and spending years and then having to go through it, she's talking about having the capacity as well to try it build it, see if it works, if it doesn't scrap it. Yeah.
0: And that's-, that's like probably most of my strategy as I roll stuff out is try it, build it. Does the concept work? Do the people like it? Okay. Now we'll really build after. And I joke a lot with my peers that it's like ready, fire, aim. That's the strategy a lot when I'm implementing. Whereas it makes sense linearly to be ready, aim, fire when you do these things. But I don't have time. I like that. We aim after. Yeah, you aim after. And that's part of the failure. And you're like, what has been happening? Let's go that way. And it's actually more informed. You just, you do have to have thicker skin for it because you don't know a lot of the time and you're chasing.
1: Yeah, and a a supportive environment, I guess. In the right
0: environment for it. Yeah. And to have an environment of, that really has innovation in its DNA is important, is conducive to making stuff happen. Yeah. And I don't know, it's so funny. You're on my podcast, but you, she's a journalist. She's like, <laughs> she's getting me to speak. It's cool. It's a two-way thing.
1: This is a great conversation. I think management, the entities that I see doing the best, are the management, you have supportive management. I mean, I know you are in management within your own team, yes. but you know, like with the C-suite across the board, they need to be supportive within a law firm, the amount of times within a law firm environment, I don't see the CIO on the board or having, they'd say that they've got management, but really they don't sit with the board. They don't make the decisions. And in this day and age, I'm not quite sure how that
0: works. (laughs) Right. Law firm environments. So you have been covering our space just for We're going 10, 20-ish years. What an arc of change to see and to see the whole thing, like we were saying earlier, the legal tech and legal ops of it really come online and be its own. It's a thing. It's its own thing. And we see these startups solving all the problems of the negative space and making new products. Out of it, I mean, what a revolution you've got, you've witnessed yeah. in your career.
1: Yeah, it is amazing. I used to be a lawyer, so I was. I oh, bless
0: up, your heart. Right? Used to be a somebody, lawyer.
1: Somebody had to, but so I was at Norton Rose before I Norton came. Rose Fulbright. Is right. It, it was because yeah. I'm so old. It wasn't Norton Rose Fulbright back in those days, yes. but it is now. But yeah, so I remember. When I first started out, there were people like Andrew Day at Barclays, yeah. and he, I think, was one of the earliest to have that sort of legal ops role. I don't know what it was actually called. Yeah, and he was one of the ones I was like, "What do you do?" Yeah, and I can't think when it sort of became. I mean, obviously, the Clock has been so formative, right? Like, Clock's the, been
0: pretty formative. What
1: the, the founders? Yeah, like the people who, in the tech and the tech world, really started, yeah. didn't it? Sort of saying, right, we need to have a voice, but. but <laughs> When I first started in journalism, in-house, believe it or not, was yeah. regarded as like the easy option, like people, if they got fed up of being... Sure, yeah. Right? And I think it was around 2008 when we had the crash that so I would... Really, yeah. Because I used to cover the in-house markets. specifically. That's right. I think that we suddenly realized that things were really changing, right? The dynamic changes constantly between law firms yeah. and in-house in terms of how it works, who has... Not the power, but perhaps a little bit of a power struggle. I think two thousand and eight, we saw a real shift towards the in-house legal market and a yeah. real professionalisation. Like they were always professional, right? But whereas perhaps there was this perception of people going across who wanted to finish at five thirty. Sure, it was. It's no longer the case right now.
0: in housers don't stop at five thirty.
1: And do you know what? Like. Even maybe back in the day, they probably many of them didn't, but there was this perception that it was the easier option. And I think things have changed so much. And I think the growth of legal ops and the, is a part of a power sh- shifting to yeah. the in house market yeah. as well. Like the in house market needed to be able to make their own. They couldn't just rely on <laughs> the tech team of the the corporate whichever corporate they're right. in because you're can be quite far down the pecking order, right? This yeah. Like own
0: team. And it's very nuanced tech as it is in every business unit's workflows. They're super nuanced. And to try, sometimes you see the generic tech folks, the IT or the product try to solve for a legal workflow. And I put my head in my hands a lot where I'm like, no, like you cannot oversimplify a contract workflow, a deal workflow, how that moves, the preferences of your in-house folks. You can't oversimplify that. You can't genericize it. You can't put it on some flat timeline just because you've seen it work in IT that way or a product. You can't. And I think that's what they had for years, wasn't it? Like, yeah. They had for years. They still do. I actually think that's the still the dominant force of technology inside yeah a lot of companies. And then there's those that go, wait, we want something. We need some domain expertise here. And that's a lot of what me and my team serve as, our domain experts that have studied the legal nuance of it for so many years that we speak to that first rather than trying to genericize it. And it's cool. So I spend a lot of time teaching product engineering designers. Like, no, no, no. This is what we mean by a template. (laughs) And and spend a lot of time saying, no, like maybe don't build the next 10 features on that solution they built engineered in-house because the third party market has shot forward and progressed so much. So it actually doesn't make sense for you to spend your precious, powerful, innovative brains on what's cooking on the third party market, like make that deal feature better and they'll focus there. So it's cool to always be delineating the world for people.
1: I mean, it's so fascinating in terms of what's right in terms of, you know, do you, I've heard had quite a lot of conversations with yeah. people about you've really got, particularly with budget cuts, you've really got to be looking at the tech that you've got, making the most of yeah. that, right? And then, but then there's often the case where, you know, you start to create shortcuts or do things which... There are other solutions which will be much better, yes. possibly cheaper, right? So I think it's about that real strategy, isn't it? Like it's yeah. funny, it's almost like you've got to be very strategic. <laughs> There's so many different but tactical. you've got to fail fast. You've got, you know, but you just have to work out. You yeah. just have to and that's why you need somebody who understands the market, right? Like yes. you need to have somebody who understands what you've got, and I guess it all comes down to the. And use it and the objective, right? Don't you? Yeah. People sometimes forget when I speak to people in, in legal tech across the board, yeah. you find that they start with the technology, not with the problem and what they're trying to solve still.
0: Yeah. Another classic mistake is people start with tech right, and then forget to frame the problem up. And where I'm very fortunate, I came up in a shop where we were obsessed with the problem more than the solution. And then the process of mapping that problem out and the process of the people. And if you track all of that very closely, your solutions will always fit the people. But people look up a lot from that. They don't want to go deep and engineer all that out. And I love that stuff. And then it's funny. It's like tech is the differentiator. It certainly is for me in my career. I understand zeros and ones and IOs and software layers very well. But I'm obsessed with the process and then understanding the people and being very close to them and then trying to put tools or something right at their fingertips. If you do that really well, you'll have job security for life. But if you're over obsessed with the tech and you just kind of implement it with a checklist mentality, oh, because clock says do billing guidelines because clock says do contract management, you'll be exited. You'll be exited because that won't fit the people and they won't know how to use it. And they'll go, oh, that's a lot of money. Or that's a lot of like making hell for law firms with billing guidelines when you didn't connect it to the culture where you're at or the people.
1: That's why I quite like legal design. You know, the concept. behind. Yeah.
0: What do you think about legal design? Is
1: that real? I'm a big I'm quite a fan
0: yeah I'm a fan too I'm a
1: fan it's about for anyone I'm sure everybody knows what it is but so and you would probably be described to describe it better but so the process of it's what we talked about you start with the problem yeah. but then you really try and simplify the yeah. stages you get to like one of the examples I've seen it working in something really small was Linklaters with their training contract yeah. process and they took something which is a sort of a set end-to-end process and they looked at how they did it and yeah. how many people touched it and you know, in terms of emails or if they hopefully could avoid email yeah. they could avoid having to post it and send it and sign it and all this kind of stuff it's sometimes really simple analysis of right how do we get from a to b yeah how could we do it in a much simpler more streamlined more digitized yeah. way and they did it and they would cut out people were involved in the process that yeah. had nothing to do with it really and and they were posting it to wherever they were when they were traveling in a <laughs> when they didn't need to do that they just sent a sign yeah. and copy and they could sign it through docusign or whatever they might use but it was also the visual element that yeah. I quite like, which is make it obviously in legal, it's very wordy. And yeah. It doesn't always have to be. So you might make it a bit more visually pleasing. Do you think that's important?
0: Yes and no. And I struggle and a lot of listeners know and people on LinkedIn and the comments know I struggle with the term of legal design, but in a great debate that erupted in the LinkedIn comments recently, I read every link everyone sent me and I went, oh, this is something I've actually been doing the whole time. And I didn't realize that's what these new groups are calling legal design. I've called it a million things. We just are cycling around names and nomenclature because this is all still so new. So I'm in, I'm like, oh, I've been doing this. So I'm so close to it. I didn't realize that. And I am someone who is an artist and a designer before I came into all of this work. So yes, visual is most important and form is very important. And if you have a good visual way in, you're attracting in humans. And all of us are staring at smartphones all day. And so we're enamored by better design and pixels being aligned, right? So yes. But then here's the caveat. If you over rotate on legal design and you come in to an audience who's all words and very busy cranking on contracts and you are too designed for design's sake and not getting at the substance enough to, then you're going to fail and you're going to not capture the audience. And I know like some of the visual design stuff I've seen. I know that if I took that into the environments I've been in, like a Spotify or a Netflix and tried with that formula, it would fail. They would laugh me out of the room and go speak to me about value. I have no time. You have 27 minutes to win me. Where are we going? So I have to take them on a vision and then with software. So I struggle with that. But in the end, I skew good UI is important and simplifying things, but you can't, animate a contract. Someone came to me once and said, can you make an offer letter tool that has the offer letter for the company sort of animated or colorful, or it's in like a comic strict form or something. And then me, like I can literally draw all of that if I wanted to. And I even said to them, What's the use case for that in this business environment? We don't need to win. Pe- so I pulled it back and the legal folks were ready to go designy with really? it, to spruce it up. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn.
1: I think it depends on how long, like what's your objective? Is it clean? Is it easy to read? Is it going to mean that there's less mistakes? Yes. But if you're spending a lot of time on design and actually it doesn't really serve a purpose, I yeah. think the only Caveat to that, I would say, is I've seen some really good examples in the consumer market, right? So, yeah. And there, so there are, of course, right? consumer.
0: And yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Like we're used to it as consumers of everything in the world, but that doesn't translate one for one into enterprise. No. And so you have to trade off and go use that legal design as a way to capture an audience or. Capture this stakeholder group and to pull them into a creative mindset, use those legal design tools because you're going to. I used to do this at Cisco. You pull them into a room and you get them going in creative thinking, something everyone's not in all day in their legal jobs. And once they snap in and crack into what we're all given, which is innate creativity, like we all colored as kids, once they cross that barrier, then you're in something with them and you can bring them forward with these tool sets, but you don't try to cartoonify a contract.
1: Not one for enterprise, nope. I mean, I do think the move towards plain English, mm-hmm. absolutely essential, right? Sure. Regardless of whether we're, you know, it's no point in using all of this old-fashioned sure. w- word. That, but doesn't mean we have to turn all the, there's a reason right. why we've developed these contracts to cover all of the things that Cover do, a million right? things. Right? And there's we don't need them to be cartoons when you're dealing lawyer on lawyer. We, right. just, we don't need that. And actually, I think lawyers are, if we
0: liked language, right? I think. Yeah, liked- this is your art. And I don't want to get in the middle of that with lawyers. And I don't even have the capacity to debate the difference between using while versus a different activating word. And I don't get it. And so I just like let you guys do that. And I know that like I stepped into Netflix's environment. They were cranking on contracts for years before I got there. There's many types. There's so much precedent, and there's a reason why everything went the way it went language wise. Who am I to come in, little Jen, and cartoonify that or try to change the language? Like I have to start where they are and where all their forms are and iterate from there with tech or innovation. It is extremely difficult to do. And most people in our field, in my field, they don't understand how difficult. It is until you're in the middle of trying to do any part of this contract lifecycle management. And then you're like, oh, my goodness, the way they work and their forms and the variations don't fit CLM off the shelf. It doesn't fit. Nothing fits. Maybe for a small legal department that's just starting or three people or 10 people. But when you walk into a pressure cooker like a Cisco, Spotify, Netflix, these are big departments. It's, so, you've got more to be thinking about them. <laughs> turning the contract into a cartoon.
1: There's plenty to be focusing yeah. on with where, how you're using your data and do D- data know where, is actually most of, stuff is <laughs> yeah.
0: most of what we have to think about yeah. is the data journey. yeah. And legal design, when I'm creating the strategic narrative to tell people, I have to tell people where we are, who I am, where we are, why I'm here, and where we're going. That is where I use all my creative to tell them that quickly and engage them. But when it comes into the tech, data is such a huge part of it. And you can't put lipstick on a pig. If your data is a mess, you can't design anything there. You have to factor for that and clean it up over time.
1: So probably about five years ago when there was that big wave of AI conversation. Oh yeah, everyone was I like, that. "Oh, I've got some AI." What's your AI? I've got. What's your AI? AI? I've got a lot of AI. What's yeah. what's your? And then we started then saying, oh, "My gosh, you really, you can't put AI on." What, what have you got in terms of your data? Where is right. it? Do you even understand it? Have you cleaned it up? And everyone was like, "What? No, but I've got bigger AI than you've got." Right. <laughs> and I think now I feel like the conversation. Is, has moved on at least in terms of the conversation
0: under- has moved on from AI.
1: In t- well, in terms of well, now we've got Gen AI, obviously, but I think in terms of data, people have better understanding whether they are delivering on it. But I think they have a real understanding. The people that I talk to seem to have a better understanding that you need to have good, clean data. Yeah. In order, otherwise, to you're
0: AIing crap, garbage, in, garbage out. What about that five year ago AI? So that's like. This is 2023. That's like 2017, 18 AI. Yeah. Like, yeah. what came of that from your journalistic point of view? I'll tell you what I think after. <laughs> TLDR or preview, nothing. Nothing. For most, teams. I think a lot.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot. I mean, it's a journey, right? Like, I think that, like with anything, you've got your. It's a journey. You've got your early iteration. Yeah. There's going to be some immature products. Some of them turn into something great. Some yes. of them. Full, I think we're seeing this now with Gen AI. I think we're seeing these really are the first iteration yes. in some cases of Gen AI. And I think that some
0: of them are almost vaporware. I think some, it's all vaporware. It's all talk and headlines, and people want headlines and to think about this like new future potential. No one's doing anything with Gen AI. But
1: I don't think that's a reason to... like. So I feel like I had a great conversation over at ILTA yeah. with somebody, Casey Flaherty. Ciao, oh, Casey, yes. Right. So Casey and I were chatting. It was great chat. And he was talking to me about hype cycles hi, hi, yeah. and inflection points, right? And he was saying, because a lot of the people at ILTA had come to the conclusion that this Gen AI stuff is all just a bunch of hype, right? And that therefore you shouldn't take it seriously. And he's like, no.
0: <laughs> Casey Flaherty coined the phrase, it is a preview of our potential with this. That's but, what this moment is.
1: Yeah, so but we talked about Gartner because obviously right now it's at the very top of the cycle. Yeah. Get Jenna ready to fall into the trough of disillusionment, which I love this. But so that may be true, but it doesn't mean it's not a genuine inflection point, which means that this is not something that is going to yeah. go. It's, and people, I think, mistook the fact that there's hype for meaning that this is all just a big puff of nonsense. He was saying, no, this is a genuine inflection it's point. It's an
0: inflection point technologically. Yeah. We've rounded a corner, but... The point in time which that reaches our fingertips in legal enterprises is at least five years. I mean, I look at what you just highlighted five years ago, AI and legal hype. It was Kira, it was Seal, a couple of others. And there was a lot of articles and smart contracts around all of that. Where are smart contracts now? Answer, I don't know. (laughs) Show me across all of the enterprise IT teams and legal in-house teams. Who has made sense of machine learning on their contracts to a point where the price tag for licensing such tech is eclipsed by the value they're mining out of their contracts from those technologies five years ago? I don't know a ton and I know a lot of people.
1: I kind of feel like with that particular with contract review... I do know a lot of yeah. firms that are using it,
0: right? Like it's, are we- in-house or law firms? Law firms. Okay, yeah. law firms. Yeah. So a lot of law firms are using it. I don't know. I tend to talk to mostly yeah, in-house, yeah. similar stack. That's of- interesting, isn't it then? That- well, it's, I'll tell you what happened. A lot of people bought into the hype cycle five years ago. They licensed the software. They brought the curas and seals back to their offices. They tried to make sense of it and they went, oh my goodness, it's going to cost me and the enterprise additional money year over year to learn how to train these models to work for Asana and work for these companies that you want to customize quickly. Thank you out of the box indemnity cause. You found that fast. Cool but they want to customize for their businesses and it needed more money mm-hmm. and training and everyone felt like they were sold the software and then they had to keep going. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm finding in my journey in this tech in the last three years.
1: And I do think that was the problem five years ago was the problem was that yes. it was sold as something it
0: was It was sold as something as And actually this what? is what we're seeing now, right? So there's going to be this... It's going to happen with Gen AI and I'm not falling for it, Caroline. <laughs> I'm not falling for it. <laughs> We're savvy this
1: time around, right? There'll be some of the products that we're seeing develop now that will be a success.
0: I'm kind of fascinated by Copilot, which is obviously Microsoft. Microsoft, yeah. I don't speak Microsoft, but I work in Google Suite environments and I'm like, cool, Microsoft. That'll never make its way to a huge faction of people at startups and new tech companies.
1: And the cost is something. So I covered Ilta's G100. Yeah, um, oh, fine. It was a closed session. Yeah. But I talked to Tony McKenna, who's the president of ILTA, yeah. to get a bit of the scoop of what they were talking about on a no-names basis. And obviously, Gen AI is one of those things. Yes. And they talked about Copilot, obviously. But the cost, they were talking about, okay, fine, so we're being told that this is something that is definitely coming. We can't afford not to have it. But how are we going to persuade the CFO of that? And how are we going to persuade the CEO of that, right? These are the conversations they're having behind the scenes. They're like, well, this is... Super expensive, unless there are lots of different ways of looking at it, actually, I think, because it will save time, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's at,
0: expensive. It's expensive. And I still think the human is better at the contracting generating than the machine will be. And aside from costs, what you're outlining, I think I saw this recently with my own eyes. I watched a lawyer react emotionally to the contract being generated by a large language model the clause. And that lawyer rightfully so had a lot of questions that even the tech provider was not able to answer the origin of where this language came from. It's this kind of vague or black box. And so a lawyer is going to take that and then iterate on the words because they're language people. And that's what they're hired to do. Study the business, understand it and create the language that helps the business. Their face wasn't selling me that there'll be an easy sell on all of this at least from the in-house perspective and that's great that shows me like back off and mm. I'm not in a rush to add those features and I'm I'm in a rush to revolutionize how they do their work but we're way back here in yeah. the early stages of changing how they draft with different parts of the CLM tech to put that in is just premature
1: but I think from some of the demos that I've seen with the likes of Thomson Reuters or Lexus, sure. you know, where they may okay, fine, they're using OpenAI, yeah. using, but in terms of the data that they're surfacing, yeah. their own, they've grounded it in their own database. That's great. And the information that gets returned, it's sourced. So Yeah,
0: but they're running giant information databases that are wonderfully organized, tagged categorized, so they can serve that up into these models. And it's not just
1: drawn from, I think the danger, and your black box point is obviously a really good one, is that if you're drawing
0: anything from the LLM itself,
1: there's a huge question over sourcing, copying. Yeah, Yeah. so you you have to
0: get that LLM have it internal over your data only. And now we're back to the point we just made, which is, well, how good is your data? And did you do the work for years, classifying it, metadatifying it, organizing, tagging, data cleansing projects of the five years of data that was there before I got there? Answer, no, we haven't done all of that. So to run that through an LLM, we'll get there one day, but you have to be doing all of that prep work. And that is a long dirty road of yeah. work you're just turning soil out on the farm to prepare for planting seeds but
1: be interesting to see whether people are using llms to do the tagging like i know it's a couple of vendors using llm to try and do the work with the data sure. in the first place yeah it's going to be i mean it's just but yeah and if they have absolutely there's going to be yeah no major shortcuts no I, there
0: are no shortcuts
1: but i do think that being sensible over so sourcing you know lawyers they don't want to lose their heads over this, like the lawyer in New York who created that brief with, oh, yeah. with using chat GPT and then came up with six cases that didn't exist and then went back for some more. They challenged him yeah. but on the first challenge saying, oh God, yeah. actually, I'm going to go to the original sourcing. Didn't do that. Went back and said, this is all fine. It's about being sensible. And like, where is it sourced? yes. To begin with, it's going to be baby steps, right? And I do think that people need to start to familiarize and get comfortable and understand what yes. this thing is. I'm not suggesting that people do some big rollout, but actually, I do think familiarizing and working out where the use cases come from. Yeah.
0: It's, I think it's important right now. It's important to do some investigating, but I'm not leaving the sandbox. <laughs> I'm not leaving our sandbox environment on anything because. Teams like I'm on, which many of our listeners are on, we have to turn all of this investment into value for the legal departments that you can point to and go, we help that team accelerate a deal cycle or help that team shave time or that team shave future headcount because we scaled them. Gen AI is not doing any of that. I kind of promised myself every combo wouldn't fall into generative AI. And it is, and I'm like, The most negative Nancy of it all, but I'm from New York. Glass is half empty and we're all going to die soon and we're running out of time (laughs) and I'm in a rush and I'm late to nine things and I'm busy, so.
1: I do a podcast with Ari Kaplan. Yeah, I know Ari. Ari and I do a podcast every other week, which we usually start by, we can't help ourselves, we start by talking about some inane rubbish, which we just giggle. We just literally laugh yeah. for about the first five minutes, laugh hysterically. I don't know that we have any listeners because yeah. they can't get through the like hysterical laughter. And last time we were talking about Chewbacca because we have been in Disney World, but he and I always resolve we're not going to talk about Gen AI. And, it,
0: yeah. and then after about five minutes, someone goes, I mean, we're in it. Well, we're in it. I think you and I are in it too, because you're a journalist. So your job is scouting trends and understanding like real or fake, scary or benign. That's journalism. In pursuit of the truth, and I think you and I are aligning on, it's a lot more hype than something you have to really be worried about tactically in our products right now inside of a legal enterprise or the law firm. But we should be exploring because it's a step change in tech. But step change in tech doesn't mean it makes its way to the fingertips of all of our lawyers and legal professionals in 2023. We're trying to all get them in to CLM environments. And that's a step change in tech. And lawyers don't like it because the way CLMs are largely designed are not for lawyers' fingers to and their language to feel good. It's just not. Maybe in small, I'm such a negative person. I, th- I got to I work do- this out. Maybe by episode two in London, I'll be more positive. But put CLM in front of most lawyers and they're like, ah. Uh, my contract manager will take it from here. And so we're revolutionizing a lot of contract managers' workflows with CLM. Is that even enough? Like, this is very five year ago tech we're still trying to put in. That's why I think Gen AI is coming, but yeah. it's not now.
1: That's interesting. I mean, the, it's, what's that expression you will remember? It's something about you always overestimate what's going to happen in the next year and underestimate what's going to happen in the next five years. Yeah. Right. So, And I think probably that's where we are at now. Yeah. I think everybody thinks the change is going to be immediate. I do think the change is going to be massive. Yeah. Know, but I do think that probably longer term, I was chatting with somebody the other day And they said about what is Gen AI comparable to in terms of other things, and they were saying, well, definitely the
0: internet, definitely email. Internet. People have said move to cloud. And then this one, this one guy went, "Oh,
1: someone said fire." (laughs) And I'm. Alright,
0: that's that's a bit far.
1: And I don't agree with that, but it's going to be big, right? But it's just a case of when, and I think you're absolutely right that you know that the products are either don't exist or are very immature or it will take time. The only thing I do think people shouldn't lull themselves into thinking that they're not going to have to do anything, right? Like I think that it's a case of just keep an open mind and and look out for the opportunities. Like we can all be really negative. But actually there's like with the internet, nobody really recognised at the time the opportunities that it would bring. Right, yeah. there's downsides as well. Like with email, Casey was pointing out to me because one of the things right now that I write a lot about with Gen AI is the issues. Right, the privacy issues, yeah. the data issue, all so many issues. And he said, "Yeah, but when email came
0: along, everyone said lawyers would never use email. Right, and that oh, would never." Now, now they're hooked on it. Right? They're hooked on it, but but they come into tech on a delay. But then also there are issues
1: around privacy. There are data breaches. Sure, there are, yeah, just yeah. because that tech has issues doesn't mean that people aren't going to use it. Right. Yeah. You just there will be risks. You'll find ways to mitigate it. But just because there are risks yeah. doesn't mean it's not going to
0: work. When you think about broadly the advent of email in the workplace, the resistance early on of lawyers. And then if you, I draw the 20 year arc later where we sit now, lawyers are obsessed with their inbox. My father-in-law is a litigator and he uses his email inbox as if it's like a text. He texts me but via email from the firm. And that's, I find, the hardest change management point with CLM or any of this tech is to actually now get all the lawyers and legal professionals out of their inboxes. Or you surface the tech to them via email actions. Hit this button in the email. It'll s- signal back to that solution to move it. But you keep them out of the solution. So it's interesting. So I give us now 20 years from today. All right, we'll check back in in 20 years. They'll be so hooked on the utility of Gen AI. And it'll be so baked into all of the first, all the productivity tools. Mm -hmm. And then they'll start to learn Gen AI in an everyday way, calendaring, drafting an email, talking to Alexa to turn on your house. And then it'll be in the enterprise tools. So deep. They'll never know how they lived without it. And the lawyers that come out in 20 to 30 years from now, The people that we're all making now who grow up to become lawyers, they'll never know a different time because it'll be baked onto everything. And then they'll laugh at all their predecessors for doing things. The photocopy and fax way, which is where we open today, photocopy. And Caroline, we have covered it all. And then some thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. That about wraps up this episode. Thank you, Caroline, for coming on the podcast today and going back in time with me. You can catch this and other episodes of Clock Talk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time.